Welcome to the Small Business Surgeon Podcast, the show where we dissect the businesses of top producers, examine their growth strategies, and share with you the bare bones of their success. I am your host, Samuel Smith, and I'm glad you're here. Let's operate. Hey guys, what's up? Welcome to this week's episode of The Small Business Surgeon. I am your host, Samuel Smith, and today, guys, I am joined by a very, very inspirational human being. He is a keynote speaker, a author, a vision boarder, and we will get him to explain what that is, but just all around excellent, great guy. Please welcome to the show, Mr. Steve Gamlin. Steve, welcome. Hey there, Sam. Thank you so much for having me on the show. And uh, man, I look forward to this conversation big time. I'm so pleased that you're here. What on earth is a vision border? Vision border. Uh, what I've done is is kind of taken on this, this amazing little journey about creating a visual representation of what your goals look like, feel like, sound like, smell like, and, and keeping them all in one place. I mean, so many people do the weak resolution thing every year. What do they say? I want to be happy, healthy, more money. <laughs> and uh, at the end of the year, you know, what changes on it? The date, they put next year's date on it and go, this year, I'm going to do this. Sorry, I'm just trying to imagine smelling a Lamborghini. Yeah, well, you know what? If you ever sat in one, you know what one smells like. So uh, I, that's that's a big part of it is is getting all the senses involved. So I know that's what, I know I what they smell like. Yeah, 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 dude, that's crazy. All right. So like, uh, we went over the basic premise of the podcast, um, and yeah, like you've been a stand-up comedian too. You've done so much stuff. Yeah. Before we get into what you're doing nowadays, um, let's tell me the history of Steve, man. Where do you come from, and how did you end up as an author and a public speaker and all this cool shit from stand-up comic and entrepreneur? It actually started when I was 10 years old and I get a few birthday candles on you. So back in the late seventies, there was a TV show <laughs> called uh, WKRP in Cincinnati. And it was about a fictional radio station in Ohio. And I was 10 years old and I saw this guy named Dr. Joni Fever, who was the DJ on the radio. Mm -hmm. And he had like scraggly hair, scruff a beard, wore sunglasses indoors, which I thought was supremely badass. Oh, it is. And yeah. he, he played records and talked on a microphone for a living. And at 10 years old, I said, I want to do that someday. And I also wanted to write books. I also love to make people laugh. And I wanted to be a teacher, but not in a classroom setting. So all of those things at about the age of 10 set me on my path for the rest of my life. Now, some of these things took a while. How did you know that at 10, dude? I just like, saw this person doing it. And I thought it was the coolest thing in the world. And, and I just wanted to do it. So I borrowed my dad's tape recorder we're talking ancient now walking around with a microphone holding it playing records and holding the microphone in front of the speaker the whole time and said and that was and then i'm watching the label go around on the record like i should have known who it was before i started trying to read it and getting dizzy i wish i still had those little cassettes because i literally was doing radio shows when i was 10 years old in my yeah. room like you're not gonna believe this um my buddies and i used to do that we were, we were a little bit older we were about 12 or 13 Mm -hmm. um but we used to do that too that and yeah. my dad he had this little bitty um dictaphone and the tapes on it were about an inch and a half across the tiny little ones and mm -hmm. we used to do it with that and uh, run his batteries out we got in all kinds of trouble for that but um <laughs> like it's so funny the similarities that have, like yeah th that i've got with so many of, of you guys is just like the the story of making shit as a kid i mean th those are the days we had to record stuff on tape. There was no digital. You couldn't just do it again and again. It was like, yeah. man, 
<laughs> now, now I'm putting gray hairs on my head. Shit. Yeah, I, I got plenty. Believe me, if you need some, I can uh, I can mail you some because there's some of them are falling out. So <laughs> send you some. <laughs> Sorry, mate. All right. So um, you're 10 years old, recording shit. Decided you're going to be a, a radio DJ. What did the rest of your teenage years and, and and school look like? Did you follow a conventional education path, or did you just kind of decide to go it by yourself? Uh, yeah, I kind of followed the the path of, you know, what my parents said back in the day, get a good education and a good job, with a good company with good benefits, basically put your head in the sand for 45 years and retire with a pension. But that was the way back then. dude. Yeah, it was. And I can't fault them for that. I mean, they were doing what the parents playbook said to tell your kids to do because that's the mindset they came from. And I never did follow that. I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur, do my own thing my own way uh, along the way. But what nearly deep six the whole thing and actually delayed a lot of this for a few years was when I was 13 years old in English class. See, all my friends went to one junior high and I went to a different one where I knew nobody. So all that self-confidence, good grades, being loved by teachers and a lot of friends kind of was on the edge of a cliff that year. And I got embarrassed in the spelling bee in English class that year. I mean, my teacher said, spell a wad. So I spelled it like she said it, A-W-A-D. No! <laughs> and I got laughed at all the way back to my seat. She meant award, like winning an award. <laughs> well, my luck, I get a 60-year-old a, a Catholic nun with a wicked hot Boston accent who said a lot. And I got so embarrassed in front of my class that literally, and I didn't realize this till my mid-30s. And, you know, not that it was like needed therapy for it, but I realized that I equated being up in front of people with being embarrassed in, in failing and falling short. Oh, so man. I got real quiet for a long time. I stopped raising my hand in class and my grades literally from seventh grade to the end of college. It was like an old World War II plane that got shot. You know, now the planes just explode, but I trailed smoke and oil mm -hmm. and flame till my senior year of college when I hit the ground and graduated by 62 one thousandths of a point. Wow. I mean, I literally let that keep me out of the spotlight and in the shadows that whole time just trying to survive all because you were grades. all because you were embarrassed one time at yeah. a spelling bee yeah yeah but i like, just i let it equate pain with being in in public and in being the center of the spotlight dude, that makes a lot of sense though that makes a lot yeah. of sense i mean yeah. you know we've all kind of embarrassed ourselves on stage um i think the reason i don't struggle with it as much is i got most of my embarrassment out of the way it you know, elementary school drama and, uh, you know, little yep. high school performances and stuff like that. But I could, yeah. I could totally see how that would like stay with you, um, that whole time. And now do you teach people to get over that fear of being in front of people? Then? I, I do in my own way by sharing my story, because I still follow the dream of being on the radio. I got okay. into radio when I was 24 years old, uh, a dear friend of mine, kept kicking me because he knew I was really down and living on my grandfather's couch, broken, depressed, not knowing what the hell to do with my life. At age 24, he kept asking me, why didn't you ever pursue radio? And I just ran out of excuses. So I borrowed some money from my grandfather, went to broadcast school in Boston for an eight-week course, got an internship at a radio station we grew up listening to. And I drove to my friend's house at the end of the summer. And I hadn't seen him all year because I was living down in Boston at my mom's. Mm -hmm. And he goes, where the hell have you been? I said, radio school. And he just was, you know, the, where the friend finally says, I told you so. Yeah. Like, yeah, I believed yeah. in you when you didn't. You yeah. Know, you, you moron. And now <laughs> look at you. Now you're doing it. Now you're happy. Well, that friend passed away three weeks later. Oh, man. And it took me a long time to get the lesson. And I was on the radio for 10 years. Now, here's the thing. 
I still wasn't over being comfortable being in the spotlight. I was an off-air morning show producer for most of those 10 years. I didn't get okay. on the mic until the last two years because I had to. Uh-huh. And actually discovered by accident my authentic voice and my confidence. Uh, our morning guy quit. And the owner was going to put the radio station back on satellite and just take all our live stuff off that we had built. Right, right. And I said, come on, man. I've been in radio for eight years. I can do it. Never been on the mic. But no, I can do it. No, seriously. And well, that, that that's week how he you, goes. That's how you yeah. get where you want to go. you gotta, yeah. you got to create your own opportunity. Create your own shot, man. Yeah. And at the end of the week, I had just sucked all week long. I'm trying to make my voice sound like what I thought it was supposed to. And finally, on Friday morning, I go, look. I'm, I'm just failing at this. So I just get on after a song and said, Hey everybody, this is Steve, New Hampshire's classic rock, big one on 1.5. You know, I may suck as a DJ, but if you tolerate me reading the weather for 42 seconds, I'll play you a kick-ass rock song. <laughs> and at the end of it, I turn off the mic and I go, Oh God, that was the worst. My boss knocks on the door, sticks his head in and says, why the hell can't you sound like that all the time? He goes, brother, that was the funniest thing you said all week. Just be yourself. So do you have a radio voice then that you can, because a lot of the guys I know that work in radio, they can switch immediately to this like standardized radio voice that I find fascinating. Yeah. Can you do yeah, that? I, I just have this voice. I mean, I used to joke around and say, hey, everybody, we'll be right back That's to the it. flip there side of these moneymakers. There it is. You know, yes. I used, to, I used to do that as a joke. Do they uh, teach that? A lot that? of people do sound like that. But I, Why uh, is that? Like, <laughs> I think they're just, they, they want to sound like they're Hollywood, like their show, like they're like they're better than they really are i mean i i just always have just this is just the voice this is i open my mouth this is what comes out right right i love that dj voice <laughs> it's so cliche it's so overplayed i, I love know. it i love I it it is it is so bad i hear people talk like that and i go okay come on just give me the voice you were born with dude so what's <laughs> what's the best thing about being a radio dj because like i want i've always wanted to to you know very very uh, quietly just have my own radio show and be on the radio. What's the best thing about being a DJ, dude? What, what was the most fun thing about that job? Meeting and talking to listeners, especially being part of rock morning shows for 10 years. We did a lot of humor and comedy and things like that. What I love and miss the most is the connection with the listeners because now everything is so automated. Mm -hmm. We'd go to an event somewhere and somebody would come up and say, hey, are you, are you from the morning show? Yeah, I'm Steve. Nice to meet you. Oh my God, Steve. Hey, thank you so much. And they would say, I was going through a tough time in my life and you guys made me laugh. And I would always ask, what was it? Mm -hmm. And they would tell me what it was. And being the producer, I would say, oh my gosh, that was six months ago. And they always said the same thing. I know. Thank you so much. I just never got a chance to thank you. So I'm glad I ran into you. Did you and never know who's like the impact? Yeah. yeah. You yeah. never That's know what I miss the most. I mean, I accolades and, and free drinks and, and cool <laughs> stuff to do. That's fine, but it's those moments yeah. that I miss the most, the connection with people and, and just working hard every day to make someone's day better and then finding out that it did, that's better than any paycheck I ever got. Hell yeah. It's the impact, man. It's the impact. Yeah. It's why we yeah. do this. I'm still doing that. That's that's still a big why behind what I do. Amen. So not to get too sidetracked away from what you actually do, um, I find it quite interesting. So I want to stay on this topic a minute. What do you think the future of radio is? We, we've seen satellite radio come come on pretty strong. We're seeing a lot of podcasts and Spotify's. And it's like, what's the future of, uh, of FM radio in your mind? Homogenized crap. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. The, the music of it, they're just jamming these things that used to be these cool niches. 
Yeah. You know, all these stations are almost gone mm -hmm. uh, or, or they include music up into the eighties now, which I'm like, yeah, it's, those aren't oldies to me, yeah. but they, they have, you know, top hits or classic hits now, which is the biggest hits of a whole bunch of bands over the course of 40 years. Right, right. So the last four years in radio for me, 98 to 02, we were actually, we built and programmed a classic rock station. Mm -hmm. And we had over 4,000 songs in our library. And we didn't just play randomly. I mean, we built this system. Right. And the biggest classic rock station in Boston rotated maybe 750. We had over 4,000. You know, there's a we whole, depth. there's a whole lot of, of, classic rock that never gets uh, any any airtime now and like you've got you've got to wonder if yeah you know immortality is yours until your name is spoken for the last time you just gotta wonder how many amazing songs from all these talented artists of the 60s and 70s and even the 80s have been lost to history and will never be played again um and a lot of that's to do with um, radio being very, very monetized and very corporatized and just revolving around these hits that everybody wants to sing to. Yeah. So and, and people would say, well, our surveys say that these songs are the top 10. No, they're not. <laughs> they're not. We used to have people call us up and say, man, I haven't heard that song in 25 years. I love your radio station. Yeah. And, and we, we built special features. We did all this stuff because we thought like the listeners. We thought like our audience. We were our audience. Right, right. We built the station we wish still existed. And unfortunately, it all fell apart when I quit radio and, and the owner was selling the station and and there it went. But for, for a few years there, we had something really amazing. And I still smile when I talk to the people that were part of that. They're still friends of mine. Dude, that's incredible. Now you're making me want to go start a radio station. <laughs> that would be that would be great fun uh, yeah. that would be really great fun so uh <clears throat> what was next you quit you you got out of radio what 2002 yeah early 2002 uh i just walked away i mean man talk about burning the boat uh at the time i was married i'd mm -hmm. been married seven years so i quit radio went through a divorce was about 35 years old, $62,000 in debt, and had to crawl home and live with family for a while. That had to be uh, pretty humbling. That was the word I was just about to mm -hmm. use. Yeah, that was that was humbling. And as, as always in my life, it turned out to be the best possible place for me to be because my dad's health had started to fail around that. He was, he was starting a slow decline, which sped up years later. Mm -hmm. But my stepmom used to take me aside and say, look, you don't have to be in any rush to leave here. And my dad, and she goes, and your dad would be really upset if he knew I told you this. If you leave, we will have to sell this house, which he built for us for our golden years. He just couldn't physically take care of it anymore. So I did everything that was physical labor mm -hmm. around that house for about, well, actually almost about 10 years. Wow. Because my recording studio and my office were already in his basement. Okay. We had built them a year prior. And I just kind of landed there and he says, look, don't rush looking for a place to live. You're here all day, every day anyway. And if it wasn't for you, the dog would crap all over the house because I was, <laughs> I was there to let the dog out every, yeah. all day, every day. Yeah. So it was, it was their way of saying, look, you're not here because you, you're a failure. I mean, you may have you know, put yourself in a tough spot. You're not here because you're a failure. You're here because this is the best place for you to be right now. It's going to allow you to grow. And I got to take care of, of him for a number of years. There's a very strong correlation in entrepreneurs in their 30s and it happened to me as well a lot of us um in our 30s end up for one reason or another staying on somebody's couch 
Um, yeah. I, I think that's that's not a failure. I think it's a uh, it's a gauntlet that a lot of us go through that nobody really talks much about it. But I would be willing to bet the majority of successful guys in their forties and fifties had a period in their early to mid thirties where they kind of messed some stuff up. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I, I refer to those years as the, is this all there is? Meaning at the end of radio. I mean, I work 50 plus hours a week at the radio station, plus DJing weddings almost every weekend. Yeah. So I was working six, seven days a week. I did 15 years worth of hours at 10 and just fried myself. And I just remember asking myself, is this all there is? Mm -hmm. That whole, you know, work thing and grind and, and this while ignoring what I now know is the other seven parts of the eight parts of life I work with on other people. You know, I'm thinking work life, there were like there were only two. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I, I just burnt myself into the ground and said, this can't be all there is because I feel like crap. I mean, you know, you often wonder that as a guy in his 30s that's like, you spend all this time working your career, you spend all this time working a job, you, you're now out on your own, like you're responsible for building a radio station and running it and it doesn't work. And then you're like, well, shit, what's next? Um, yeah. But that, that, transcends multiple um businesses like any different form of business owner they appear to a lot of us go through that in that late 20s to mid 30s kind of time frame and what is next um so what was next for you after radio dude what did you do to pick up and um you know get yourself out of that funk and, and move forward I thought it was going to be an ad agency because I love doing audio production I just built that recording studio mm -hmm. it was beautiful at my dad's home and i thought that's what it was going to be but i quickly learned that i hated doing i i, I love doing production i hated doing it as a business right and right. i i just i started and i had a couple of clients and just kept pitfall after pitfall and just it, my heart was not in it and in august of 2003 still punishing myself over blowing up my first marriage and, and everything else that was going on uh for on a friday afternoon in august very hot and humid outside. I took my last three dollars I had in my pocket that day and I went and got a bucket of golf balls to just whack the crap out of them at a driving range and just take out frustrations. And being a horrific golfer, I went to the farthest tee box on the property. So I was up against the fence mm -hmm. that was protecting the trucks at the business next door from beginning hit. So I was, I was underneath some power lines too at the far end, and a thunderstorm came ripping through, and everybody but me ran for their cars and got the hell out of there. And I just kept hitting golf balls, barefoot in the wet grass under power lines in a thunderstorm. And at one point I just held up the club and just said, I dare ya," mm -hmm. And just swung it around. Not mad, but just being sarcastic and funny. Like, you know, I spent the three bucks. I'm hitting all these golf balls. Right. Right. So I hit all of mine in all uh, of the two buckets of balls that two other guys had ran from the storm and left behind. <laughs> you found some free ones. So, oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, for like an hour and my arms were so were almost numb by the end. I think the last couple of shots went like eight feet. I just couldn't even swing anymore. And I got to my car and the rain stopped and the sun came out and I just started laughing, like just looking up going well played. <laughs> and I, I just thought it was the funniest thing. And, and I wasn't mad anymore. I just, just the weirdness of my life never ceases to amaze me. And two days later, I was talking to a brand new life coach I just started working with. And he's got his pen and paper. And he goes, so how was your week? And I said, hey, put down your pen and listen to what I did. And I just made it as funny as I could about that one hour of my life. Mm -hmm. And at the end of it, he's doing something a life coach is not supposed to do, which is laugh at you. 
And he said, I got two questions. Are you this open and honest about your life with everybody? I said, yeah, usually self-deprecating, but yeah. And then he asked, you ever thought of being a motivational speaker or a stand-up comedian? I think you'd be great at both. I'd wanted to do both for years. I didn't have the knowledge or the confidence of how to go about it. On his desk was a brochure from a local community college. Two weeks later, they had a class called Intro to Stand-Up Comedy. And I was there. And three weeks later, I attended my first Toastmasters meeting and started crafting my stories, my confidence, you know, using the Toastmaster toolbox to perfect and hone the skills and the confidence. And the first time I was up in front of people, as bad as I was now looking back, I had so much fun and, and I've been loving it ever since. Dude, how do you even write a joke? I, I don't know what's <laughs> funny and what's not. And you're sitting over yeah. there chuckling to yourself. What's, what's the first step? I mean, I know this isn't like <laughs> business talk podcast, but no, no, this what's is the great. first step to writing a joke? How do you even come up with funny shit? It, it's actually, I, don't, I never even told jokes and, and I never wrote them. I am, uh, I'm a storyteller okay. by nature. So I would just take what I saw around me and just flip it over a couple of times, uh, bounce it off the wall a different way, make a different observation uh, and just see things in a different way and bring it to the extreme a bit to show people that it could be funny or there could be something positive in this. And I did stand up for seven years. I've been speaking for a total of 17. So they overlapped for the first seven years. And it's the same thing I do when I'm speaking. You know, I want to share a lesson, a story, something memorable, but I also want to make it funny because right. that, that can really set you apart. If you can do that and get people to learn something, you become very attractive in, oh, yeah. in the way that that's an energy you want around you. So that's been the formula of it for me. It's not necessarily jokes or one-liners, but there are punchlines right, and there right. are humorous stories that teach a lesson. And then some of the other things like callbacks, you know, at the end of a keynote speech, I'll remind them of something that happened earlier in the speech to kind of drive yeah. home the lesson yeah, again. Yeah. So it's a lot of mechanical things versus just being funny in, in the use of the face, the body, the, the pauses, the voice, high, low, fast, slow, all the dynamics of it that really make it. So I work, I still work very, very hard. On yeah, all of those things. Yeah, you are incredibly talented. You've developed a wonderful skill, man. Well, well done. Like I'm, I'm just sitting here because you know I, I get asked to speak at stuff, and I'm like, well, how do I, how do I make this engaging? How do I make like because learning about what what we do, um, it's very methodical. It's very systematized. It's it's not really incredibly sexy, and yeah. it's not very funny. Like it's a very serious topic. So, yeah. um, like I may have to dig into some of your archives and try and get some uh, some hints from how you how you do it, like publicly. Anytime, anytime. Matter of fact, I just got a call from one of our fellow Apex uh, sisters today, who said, "Steve, I just got asked to be on stage uh, in a presentation in January. Can you coach me?" Yes. There you go. That's what it's about. <laughs> so my right. job is to get people off the cliff and on stage, you mm -hmm. know, as part of what I do, which is, which is a blast. So anytime you want to have a conversation, please reach out. Dude, Talk I love being me. on stage. I love it. Yeah, um, me too. I'm not scared to speak. Um, I played, I played drums professionally for many, many years. So being on stage is wonderful. I don't get the stage right thing that everybody gets. I just want to be entertaining and fun. And I want yeah. people to go, wow, that was really fun. And um, yeah. no, so I play any... drums very unprofessionally. So, you know, I'm <laughs> on the other end of that rainbow for you, but put on my headphones, the louder the music is in the headphones the better i sound 
<laughs> I tell that to my audience, you know, when we run off the drink specials for the night. And I'm like, hey, the more you drink, the better we're going to sound. So yes, uh, keep sir. going. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you do now, Steve? I want to take a little bit closer look at Motivational Firewood and at the book you wrote and about how your business operates these days. So where do we begin with all that? Yeah, well, the, the phrase motivational firewood actually came out of a conversation like most things in my life. Right after I became a speaker, I was invited to attend a National Speakers Association of New England meeting. Mm -hmm. So I drove down there. I've got that what I always call the blue badge of shame, which means, hi, I'm clueless. And I'm just looking around thinking everybody else has their stuff together and knows what's going on. So I walk into my first meeting and a gentleman, God love him. His name is Don. He said, oh, hey, uh, Steve, hey, it's great to have you here. What do you do? I said, I want to be a motivational speaker. Why? Well, I want to help people. We all do, Steve. What sets you apart? And I just kept, you know, weak answers for a couple of minutes. And I finally said, look, Don, if somebody's paying to come see me, they have a spark of hope or something in their heart that they want to be impacted. So if I share a story, a lesson, an example, or something that gets them to advance to the next stage of their life, take action. So it's kind of like I gave them a piece of motivational firewood. And then they added to the spark and did something. I like that. And yeah. he, he said the same thing. He goes, oh, he goes, that's different. That's unique. He said, look into trademarking that, which I had no clue how to do. Mm -hmm. He said, you know what I love the most? You just lit up when you described that. He says, young man run with that. And, and that's where it all started was in the mid 2000s with with that. What I do now, it's a blend of positivity. It's a blend of humor. Mm -hmm. And I work with whether it's a speaking event or, or vision board one on one coaching or corporate clients. What do your goals look like, feel like, sound like, smell like? Who do you need to become to achieve them? Because everybody says dream big, dream huge. And audiences just like wet themselves going, yes. Then they're home the next day and the plastic's not even on that program that they paid way too much money for. Mm -hmm. And they have no idea what to do. And they're so disconnected from their goals. All they know is what some guru told them success was like. These are my people because we yeah. have conversations where it unlocks and digs into what you really want in your life, what the best version of you is going to be, how to emotionally connect to it, how to understand how important the word why is. Mm -hmm. You know, why do you want that? And the first answer is never the right answer. No. It, it took me, it took a dear friend of mine 17 times asking me why I became a speaker. And what it went back to was at age 24, my friend who believed in me when I didn't, and I went into radio, that's who I want to be as a speaker and as a coach. I want to be that person who helps my clients find and see the best versions of themselves. That's where I get my juice from. That's my why. Every time I get on a stage or on a coaching call. Dude, you're absolutely right, man. Couldn't agree more with that. So dig into it with me a little bit. Mm -hmm. How do you pull that out of your clients? Are there some exercises that our listeners can do over here to maybe benefit a little bit from some of your experience? How do you go about helping a client sit down and say, why am I here? What is it that I want? Because in my experience, when I go to coach people, um, when they come to me as consulting clients, mm -hmm. they may have a business, but the only reason they ever started a business, because, well, I don't want a boss and 
I'm just going to work for myself. And the only goal they have for their business is paying their bills. And so when they turn around and two years later, they've got a business that they're working 50, 60 hours a week and all they're doing is paying their bills, they can't figure out how to get to the next level. How do you go in with guys and help to unlock that? What I do with these people is say, look, I know you want the secret to business and this and that. I work inside of eight areas of life and okay. I do them all simultaneously. It's your career, your finances, your physical health, your emotional well-being, your relationships, your ethics, morals, and values and integrity, your spirituality and faith, and your connection to the world in a real way. And they're all operating 24-7. You can't just say, hey, Steve, I want to, you know, I want to grind my business for for a year and, and make a whole ton of money. And my first question is always, are you married or in a relationship? Mm -hmm. They go, yeah. I go, you won't be in a year. Yeah. Because you need to take care of your physical body. If you get enough sleep each night and you make good food choices, you can work longer hours. You work longer hours, you can make more money. You make more money, maybe you can buy a little bit of freedom. Then mm -hmm. you have to understand what are the things you can do each day to make sure that emotionally you're in a good place. You know, even just watch a funny YouTube video in the morning. Or if your spirituality and faith is important to you, Take three minutes in the morning and read out of whatever your good book is. You're in a relationship, good. What small ways each day can you let that person know you still love and care for that person? Mm -hmm. Even if you are working 89 hours, 80, 90 hours a week, there's a way to do this. Leave notes, give a foot rub at night. First mm -hmm. thing in the morning when my alarm goes off, my feet reach for my wife Tina's feet and they touch every single morning. In the, and we just both go, hmm. That's my first smile every single day. I can be gone the whole day. Nice. I mean, nice. I was at Apex Live recently. I was gone yeah. for three days and I was staying at my sister's house on crashing on her couch. And the second morning, I was so tired. And when my alarm went off, my feet just went out and fell off the edge of the couch. I'm like, I'm not home. <laughs> you know, Tina's feet weren't there. But see, it's those little moments every day. You miss connection. I mean, if you're gone and grinding and working that many hours, you're not going to be connected with the world. You're going to be very isolated. What I do, I pick up my phone, go into Messenger. There's a little microphone there. Mm -hmm. I call at least one person per day and leave a message. Hey, I was thinking about you today. Do you remember the time we did this? Or, hey, I saw that you did this. Or your son or daughter had this great victory. Just wanted to reach out and say how proud I am. 20 seconds, 60 seconds. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I've, I've now taken care of every single part of that. So it makes each one better. You can't just be a machine and grind 89 hours, 80 or 90 hours a week and expect the rest of your life. What you're going to have is a machine that starts to rock and eventually you're going to look at yourself with exhausted eyes going, where the hell is that smoke coming from? That's the, uh, that's the mid thirties entrepreneur, dude. Where yeah. we, yeah. it's our, you know, they, they work and work and work on the business and they grind and grind and grind because that's what they're, they're supposed to do. And yeah. that's why they suffer from alcoholism and drug problems and obesity mm -hmm. and relationship issues. And it's why most of them end up overweight, alcoholic and, and staring down a divorce. Yeah. Um, it's because yeah. they don't take care of all the other areas of life. Right. Um, <clears throat> I had a guest on the other week talking about the same thing and he would set reminders in his phone during the day to text his wife, um, yeah. to remember to text his wife. And, and for the longest time, his wife thought he was mindful and sweet and everything else. And then uh, one day she saw the alarm going off to <laughs> and he got in trouble because she thought it was natural. But like, I, I have a good idea of who that is. And, and he's also <laughs> my coach, which is why I'm laughing with you saying that. But see, here's the thing. The intention of it is so great because he knows 
it, it, just like I do. I'm going to get caught up in this day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, there were days all of a sudden I look up and it's, it's dark out and I go, oh my gosh, how long have I been down here in this recording studio? I've got this yeah. little window that looks out into our side yard. And I looked up and it was dark and I looked at the clock and I said, oh my gosh, it's at six, at 6.30 PM. Mm -hmm. But down here half the day, just grinding out production and, and videos and podcasts and messages to my clients in, in webinars and all of these things. And so I run upstairs and I'll ask my wife, what do you want to do for dinner? And she goes, it's been thawing out on the counter since one, but mm -hmm. you can cook it. And, and we, we make dinner together at least four nights a week. Right. That's scheduled into my schedule. Nobody's allowed to book me for calls during dinner making time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I have time as, as man, as pretentious as it sounds, I have time specifically set aside every day mm -hmm. for my boys. Like yeah. you, I, Unless something's on fire, I am not available between 3.30 and 5.30. Those those yeah. times go to my boys. I'm back at the office by 6. And I generally work, you know, 6 to 8, 6 to 9 most evenings. Um, but otherwise, if I didn't do that, I'd be so engaged in work during the day. By the time I got free, my boys are already in the pajamas ready to go to bed. They get no dad, you see. Yeah. So uh, I do it the other way around. I, I make sure that they get at least a couple hours with me a day when my phone is uh, upside down and I'm not paying attention to anybody but the kids. Yeah. Um, and here's what that also does. Here's the gift of that. When you're working from 6 to 8 or 9 o'clock at night, you're a better version of yourself. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. you had that energy. One of my vision board coaching clients recently said, Steve, here's a goal. I want to be a better dad, which I think is just one of the most noble goals. He has a, a daughter who just turned five years old recently. Now he and his daughter's mom are no longer together. So he only gets to see her on the weekends. Yeah. And for her fifth birthday, he bought her a kitten, which lives with him. So she only gets to see him and the kitten two days a week. Mm -hmm. And all week long, he's missing her and feeling disconnected. I said, okay, here's an idea. This is what I love to do with my clients. We, we brainstorm. It's the greatest game of volleyball of energy back and forth. I said, okay, she loves the kitten. He goes, oh my gosh, she's like an adult. She feeds it. She cleans up the lower box. She plays with the toys, all of this. I said, every Wednesday, I want you to take a picture of the kitten, bring it into your little graphic design program, put a speech bubble above it and type in something the kid, the kitten would say to your daughter, can't wait to see you this weekend. I miss you, blah, blah, blah. Every Wednesday, I want you to text it to her. Mm -hmm. And the first week he did it and his daughter was so excited that her mom got her on video saying, daddy, thank you so much. I love my kitty and, and I can't wait to see you. And he says, just seeing her face and that excited about that little thing that took him three minutes to mm -hmm. do. Yeah. Buoyed him all the way till the weekend. And now what he gets to do also is capture the growth of the kitten. Oh yeah. Over time, yeah, you yeah. know? And, and so it's so in the moment, but it's these little things we can do every day and, and rock on, man, making the time for your boys. That's, that's the best. Well, when you sit down and figure out, you know, the time's going to pass anyway. I mean, God willing, I'm 41 now. I'll be 51 in 10 years. I might as well be 51 with a great relationship with my kids. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like yeah. you just got to make it intentional. Really, when my life changed was when I started spending my time like money and wrote a budget for my time and started figuring out this is most important, this is next important, this is next important, and none of the rest of this shit matters. Yeah. Um, otherwise, you're just going to, like, I can go, and man, I love my friends, and I'm sure there's some of them listen to this podcast and know I'll be talking about them, and I'm sorry, fellas. Mm -hmm. uh, but I can go to a particular bar in England 
walk in at a particular time and find four or five guys I went to school with. I can go to a particular bar in Texas, walk in on any given evening and find six or eight or ten guys that I've had relationships with that I'm close with that I know. And they just don't fit in my time budgets anymore. Like it's Mm. being intentional with how you spend each day. And would I rather be sitting in a bar or allocating that time during the day to my kids and then catching up on work in the evenings, you know, because for most of my life, it was work really hard and then go to the pub for the Mm. the majority of my life. I mean, I didn't, we didn't didn't have kids so I was in my thirties, but the majority of my time was spent work, 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 drink, drink, drink. And there was never anything, um, there was never anything intentional. There was never anything committed on paper for goals for any of it. I didn't discover this way of living until I was in my late thirties, much to my, you know, but to my detriment, I'm, I'm quite embarrassed that I went through life wrong, or, or I guess not wrong, but yeah, uh, just different. That's all. Well, normally, I, yeah. I I did what everybody around me did. I was literally the poster boy for you become the five people you surround yourself with. Like you, you want to talk about five alcoholics? You're the sixth one. Way to go! Like that's yeah. what happened, but without understanding time and intent. Um, like I did what everybody else does. You go to work all day, you go to the pub. And that was it. That was that was life. Okay. So I don't know where we were going with that. <laughs> <laughs> but great I mean, just great lessons the whole way. Dude, I want to touch in, in how we choose to do our time. I mean, that's I want to touch on those eight areas of life and, and yeah. go back to those real quick because I'm not familiar. Like, obviously, I'm familiar with the the, the G code, which, as we know, mm-hmm. is 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 gratitude and, and being thankful for the things you have. It's genetics, which is fitness and working out and diet. Mm-hmm. It's group, which is the people you surround yourself with, and it's grind, which is your work ethic and how you work. So. How does that align with, with the eight arms of life that you teach? I'm, I'm very interested to, to understand what I'm missing and see what areas I can improve in. Yeah, it's actually a perfect fit. I mean, you can lay it right over and, and it actually occupies four out of the eight. Mm-hmm. But then it's just those other little things like the emotional well-being that are actually offshoots of them and actually results. I mean, mm-hmm. when you're doing all four G's of the G code, which I've been doing since uh, I joined Apex uh, first week of May mm-hmm. of, of 2021, um, I've, I've been doing the daily entries. I've, I've only missed a couple of days, but all those things fit so perfectly into what I was already focused on. And it right. just took it to the next level. Haven't had a drop of alcohol since the day I joined Apex. Now, it was never an issue. Yeah, well, congratulations anyway. Healthier. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, you know, the alcohol consumption goes down. So does the soda consumption because, well, they used to meet somewhere in the glass. Um, Eating healthier, I'm eating vegetables whose names I couldn't spell six months ago and actually enjoying them, having a fruit smoothie every morning, back to the gym for the first time in three and a half years, mm-hmm. even though I, I love what they've used my money to do for upgrades, <laughs> uh, walking daily and just, you know, having that, the code and the brother and sisterhood of Apex. I don't miss any of these things. Every day I just wake up and I said, what's the, what's the code of Apex? Create the most elite version of yourself. And I look, I still have a bottle of rum upstairs that has never been opened. And I look at it every day and I don't get mad or angry or I just look at it and go, not today. That, that's how I did it, one day yeah. at a time. The, the other question I often ask myself is when I'm making a decision, there's two questions. Is, is morally, would 
your mum be okay with this or would this disappoint your mum? Uh, mm. I think if mum would be disappointed, then morally it's probably something you don't need to do. Okay. And um, the other one, and the, the more striking one, is if I were the ultimate version of myself, what would I do? Like, is this mm. the most elite version of Sam? Is this the correct decision? Is this the same decision that the best possible version of Sam would be making right now? And sometimes the answer is no, and I just eat the Chinese food and gain a little bit of weight, you know. <laughs> sometimes, no, we're not going to be elite today. We're going to eat some pizza. Um, but I'm working on that. <laughs> I can't be yeah. elite every day. I, I do like, yeah. uh, you know. But having alcohol as a vice um, and getting rid of that and drinking more water and yeah, maybe I can sneak a couple of slices of pizza every now and again and not feel too guilty. But I find that if if you preface any major decision with, would this disappoint mom? And is this what the best version of me would do? Then the answers are always easy. You might not like them. You might have to change your decision based on those answers. But mm -hmm. it makes the answers a lot, lot easier. And you end up as a better person because of it. Yeah. And, and what I do too, because I still enjoy Chinese food now and then and pizza as well. Um, in my I am statement, which is uh, an exercise that's done with my coach and mentor, yeah. Chris Whitehead, mm -hmm. um, I, I've got a, a part of it that says I enjoy dinner in one in single plate portions. Oh, there you go. Because I used yeah. to be the guy that would go back for more. Now, a single plate portion doesn't just mean you hit the diameter or the circumference of the plate and make a mountain of stuff. It's it's like a, a, a one floor. <laughs> it's like, uh, you know, a ranch style house of food. It's, mm -hmm. it's that one layer, yeah. one plate. And that alone, just that decision alone and saying that every day. And, and I have a, an MP3 of my whole I am statement in my phone i listen to it on the way to the gym every day oh nice and i hear that in my head when i get ready to make a a, a dinner or something i really enjoy could i go back for that one more slice no i already had x amount of my, on my plate it filled the plate that's it do you know what's crazy right we fill our plates proportionally to the size of the plate and the average dinner plate in america has grown by over 30 percent in the last three generations Mm -hmm. So, like, maybe you just use smaller plates. You'd eat less already. But it's so <laughs> funny that the hu a human will fill whatever plate he's using proportionally to the size of the plate. So there you go. Top tip. If you're trying to lose weight and eating too much, <laughs> use smaller plates. Yeah, or get the flimsy paper plates. If it folds the plate, guess what it's going to do to you? <laughs> Dude, I yeah. love paper plates. Yeah. Um <laughs> There was there was a time there was a time after I uh, after I, my wife and I separated there was a time when I just decided I didn't want to do dishes and I ran off of paper plates and plastic silverware and I would put foil on my pans and like I just it was great um, I'm a little more grown up now I've got some china plates but yeah paper plates are a, a, a lifesaver especially for bachelors yep. <laughs> yep oh yes I had those years yes sir all right so. I want to keep this moving because, you know, we're, we're, we're getting down on time. Um, I want to touch on some of the myths around what you do and the vision boards and the coaching. What would you say one of the most common misconceptions that most people have when they come in to, uh, to your environment? What's the most common misconceptions they have about what it is you do? Yeah, we conducted a survey about four years ago of people, their perception of vision boards, if they tried one, if they failed, if they felt why. Biggest one, and the one that just got me right between the eyes, was somebody who answered, 
I have no way of seeing how this is any different than a fourth grade art project. Ooh. And that was a kick to the jimmies right there. Okay. Because so, I so took how it so seriously. It? How is it different from a fourth grade? Because what you do yeah. with the vision boards when you make them manually, unless I'm mm -hmm. mistaken, you find the things you want, you cut them out, you stick them on the board physically, right? Yep. You, you're making a physical, that's it. That's my reference yep. point. This is what I'm having. Mm -hmm. how, is, how is that different from a fourth grade art project? Well, I'll say the way I teach it, is very different from a fourth grade art project. I mean, because there's so many people out there that say, you know, hey, Sam, we're having a vision board party. Come on down. We'll have wine, cheese, crackers, scissors, glue sticks, and glitter. And I'm thinking, okay, first off, wine and scissors, bad combination. <laughs> so in, at least you can use the glue stick, put your eyebrow back on. But, but that's the perception out there for too much of the world that it's just taking pictures, cutting up magazines, sitting around with people, slapping them on a board, and boom, there's your future. Right. But you know, so I, from I the created, outside looking in, yeah, that's what it looks like. I, I know. And, dude, I, under, I understand vision boards. I'm wanting yeah. you to explain to the audience mm -hmm. how they could benefit from a vision board that is not a fourth grade art project. Yeah. Uh, this is the way I teach it. And, mm -hmm. and sometimes people say, Steve, what qualifies you to say this? There's a, a picture out there of me in front of this chalkboard behind me. And it says, this guy lived it with an arrow pointing at my head. That's mm -hmm. what qualifies me. Yeah. From that decade of putting my life back together, when I first learned about visualization and vision boards, I just went at it and started making them and failing and making them and failing even more and then started to get success. I created a program with 10 steps. In my version, you don't gather pictures till step seven. Everything else is evaluating where you are right now in all eight of those categories of your life, where you are right now in a good, honest, deep, introspective look. Mm -hmm. Where you want to be a year from now. Don't give me this Tony Robbins motivational guru crap. That 20 years from now, I want to have all these things. <laughs> one year from now, even if it's just one year closer to a 20-year goal, mm -hmm. I get that. One year now from now, where do you want to be in all those areas? And number three, why? And deep dive into why you really want it. Not just because my life sucks now. No. Why do you want that? What's the emotional connection? And after that, it's brainstorming. I mean, just going wild with your imagination, shutting off all things electronic and just go crazy pen to paper mm -hmm. and brainstorm it out. And then pick the ones, pick the things that really impact you the most that you say, this is what I actually want. Because when you get it all the way out there, you get to pick and choose which of these things. And if you're not sure, say if you have three goals in the same category, you go, well, Steve, I don't know which one. Go park your butt in front of the mirror and say them to your face. The one that makes you smile the most, connected emotionally, start there. Man, you're exactly right. Then it's the, the pictures. But you don't just slap the pictures on there. You gather your pictures based upon what you wrote, and you configure them in such a way, whatever you want that's most important to you in your life, I just recommend you start with that in the center. Mm -hmm. Work outward from there. This is related to this, is supported by this, is connected to this, so that it tells a story. And then after that, for the people who just think it's like, you know, a Saturday morning uh set it and forget it chicken roaster vision boards are not set it and forget it because i have to i have more exercises after that you start to think of the actions you have to take on a regular basis mm -hmm. to start taking steps toward each one of these goals put the board where you can see it take a picture of it make it the background on every electronic device you own print out a picture fold it up put it in the visor of your car if you drive around a lot mm -hmm. and every day i want you to look at it and say what one picture can I take one step closer to today? It's like an old wooden roller coaster. Yeah. Top is your goal, the bottom, and you got to go click, 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 
And it's, it's not always sexy. It's not always exciting, but you can't start halfway up and you can't skip any steps. You've got to do every single thing. And when you get to that last click, all my coaching clients are under orders. Hashtag click, baby, click. They tag me on social media when they have a breakthrough. Even if it's just one step they took, mm -hmm. they've got to tag me because I always reach out and go, what'd you do? <laughs> and I love to cheer them on. I mean, I'm, I borderline sneak around observing my clients to keep track of them. You should anyway. And cheer them on. And I just, I love doing it, reaching out to them and high five and handshakes, hugs. I jump up and down with my clients. I laugh with them. I cry with them. I scream with them. I brainstorm with them, but they have to hit every single one. You know, I've, I've got a t-shirt on the wall over there. I launched a t-shirt that says friends don't let friends attend vision board parties. <laughs> because I just think me personally, I mean, they're better than nothing, I guess, but it gives people like me a bad name where people say, you know, Steve, I went to a vision board party once. Yeah, it didn't work. Really could not have guessed that, that mm -hmm. it didn't work. Why don't we have a conversation? Let me tell you what's really going on behind the scenes and how the world is conspiring to work with you. If you see the opportunities and get off your butt, you know, people say, I want to be a millionaire. Did you buy a lottery ticket? No, I'll never win. Well, your butt cheeks and your couch cushions need to get divorced and you got to get out there and start taking some steps. Yeah. That's what I teach. That's how I teach all of this. I mean, yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't agree version, more. But, I couldn't yeah. agree more. That's great. And inside of corporations, it's amazing to watch what goes on. Yeah. No, Just the relationships and conversations that the leaders tell me. I've never seen my team talk to each other or treat each other or help each other out. Mm-hmm like they do now they're interested in helping each other not just professionally but personally it's pretty cool to watch yeah dude, the whole environment around my company changed when i forced my employees quite begrudgingly through this whole vision board exercise and figuring out what they wanted out of life and then how do we fit what they want out of life around this thing they have to do called a job and like the attitudes around here changed almost overnight because now they could see what they were working towards and they could team up with each other and work towards goals together. And me as an employer and as a boss could mentor them and move them towards those goals myself. But without knowing what their goals were and without seeing the vision written down and without seeing that list of the things they wanted, how would I ever be able to act upon it? Yeah. So man, vision boards, absolutely have a place in the workplace there's a place for them in the future that they're, they're just i think i think they're freaking great dude <laughs> yeah you know i was coaching somebody the other day spot coaching somebody i had a conversation with and i said look at the very least buy each of your team members a four by six picture frame to put on their desks and just ask them whatever is most important to you in your life the reason you're here earning this paycheck trading your time for money what is it put mm -hmm. it in the frame i said that is going to allow you once a day to go stand by somebody's desk, point to the picture and say, how can I help you get closer to that today? Have a two minute conversation, one per day. That's going to be You're going to be so much right more now, engaged. Yeah. yeah. And that's, that's, and I tell them, they said, so is that like a vision board? I said, it's a baby step. Yeah. It, it's a hint at what is possible, but it's so much better than most leaders. It, just my opinion are out there doing right now. Dude, th this has just been an incredible conversation, Steve, man. 
we're right up on time. I've got to wrap this up, but I I feel like we could have talked for another couple of hours on this stuff. I've really, really enjoyed uh, just this surface level dive into vision boards and the stuff you do. Um, dude, bef- and I've got loads more questions to ask you, but like I said, unfortunately, we are like really, really banging up on time here. Um, before we get off, Steve, please do me a favor and tell the audience where they can reach out to you, how they can contact you so they can work on their vision boards and uh, where they can follow you on social media. Yeah, they can find me at motivationalfirewood.com. That is my main site. I'm also uh, Facebook and Instagram and LinkedIn are there just under my name, Steve Gamlin, G-A-M-L-I-N. And if anyone wants to have a conversation, happy to. My calendar is stevechats, C-H-A-T-S.com. Dude, I can't understand why people wouldn't want to talk to you after this. Um, I think that doing what you do and helping entrepreneurs to untangle the roadmap and figure out the path to where they actually want to go, I think it's absolutely vital because most of the guys that come to me for me to work with don't have a clue where their vision is is going to take them. So, dude, keep a, keep up the great work. Keep kicking ass out there. Keep killing it. And, guys, do me a favor. Go to motivationalfirewood.com. Check out Steve's stuff. Give him a follow on socials. And uh, as always, guys, if you have liked this podcast or got anything out of it, hit us up with a review. Screenshot it. Share it on Instagram. Share it in your stories. We really appreciate that. You can find Steve at Steve Gamlin. And, of course, you can find the show at Small Business Surgeon. Steve, thank you so much for coming on, man. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks so much. This was a blast. And I'm going to give you the ultimate compliment. It was effortless. (laughs) Loved it. I try. I try. All right, Steve. Thank you for coming on, guys. Thank you so much for listening. You'll have a wonderful week. I will be back Friday with another episode of Friday Fire for you guys. And uh, as always, just uh, be good and stay safe. We'll catch you Friday. This has been the Small Business Surgeon Podcast. If you've made it this far, you clearly like it. So go on iTunes and leave us a five-star review. This helps people find the show and spread the good word. Share with friends and follow us at Small Business Surgeon on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you for your follow-up next week. The Small Business Surgeon was recorded at Texas Media Foundry in historic downtown Bryan, Texas. Check them out at txfoundry.com or on social media at TXFoundry. Thanks for tuning in.